You are listening to Press Church Podcast. Please enjoy this week's message. We are talking about Psalms 23. We've been talking about it for the last couple weeks. We've been going verse by verse and talking about it. We started in Psalms 23, verse 1, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. We made the distinction that the first thing that we have to do in our lives is make the declaration that the Lord is my shepherd. We understand and see that we as humanity are following someone or following something in our lives. So why not follow the shepherd? Why not give our lives to Him first? And as soon as we make the declaration, the Lord is my shepherd, then we see the rest of Psalm 23 benefits flow into our lives. We also talked about, as we go through this series, how each verse also correlates to a name of God. In the first verse, we have Jehovah-Ra, which is, the Lord is my shepherd. The first place and the only place we see it is here in Psalms 23, verse 1. The first benefit that we have, I shall not want. Going into verse 2, we see the second name of God in this passage revealed, Jehovah-Jireh, the Lord is our provider. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still water. We have this understanding, this connotation that Jehovah-Jireh, God is our provider, just means money. That God is just in the ATM business. But there are plenty of things that we need in our lives that he provides for. And what he provides here is he brings us besides green pastures. We saw when we talked about it how it was new pastures. It was fresh grass. It was new grass that he was bringing us into. He doesn't bring us and lead us beside uh, chaotic waters. He doesn't lead us besides uh, the ocean waves of water. He leads us beside the still peaceful waters that we need. He provides for us. And last week we talked about Psalms 23 verse 3 where he is Jehovah Sidkenu where it says the Lord my righteousness. The Lord is my righteousness. We talked about the fourth and the fifth benefit. He restores my soul and he leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. We talked about that path of righteousness, that that in Romans it says, there is none righteous, no, not one. We in ourselves could not make ourselves righteous. No matter how hard we tried, no matter how many things we did, there was no way that we could be made righteous. But God had a plan. God sent His Son, and like we just talked about, the great exchange happened. He took on our sins and then gave us His righteousness so that we could walk down that path of righteousness with him. And now we're at verse 4, Psalms 23, verse 4. We're going to look at three of the benefits here. After we make the declaration that the Lord is our shepherd and that we are going to be a sheep in his fold, then we receive the benefits of being shepherded by him. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. First benefit that we'll talk about. Second benefit, for you are with me. And then the last benefit we'll talk about, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And the name of God that we can see in this passage 
is Jehovah Sabaoth, S-A-B-A-O-T-H. I'm probably pronouncing that wrong. But it means the Lord of hosts. We're going to see in these three benefits, the Lord of hosts, that there's so many names of God that are out there that show us different attributes, that show us different sides of God, that He's our shepherd, that He's our provider, that He's our righteousness. Today we're going to see that He's the Lord of hosts. That name of God means the Lord of armies or host. The definition of that name means to denote His universal sovereignty with every army. It also means the Lord of hosts is the king of all heaven and earth. The first time it was mentioned was in 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 3. Uh, I don't have it up there, but you can look at it if you want. But the, one of the scriptures that I do want to highlight where somebody calls God the Lord of hosts is in 1 Samuel 17, in verse 45 and 46. And we've heard this passage of scripture before because it's talking about David fighting Goliath. David is talking to this dumb giant who's trying to attack and kill and destroy the children of Israel, the army of Israel. And David, being full of the Holy Spirit, being full of righteous indignation, looks at that tall giant and he says, then David says to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God who is the head of all armies, who is the king of heaven and earth, the God of the armies of Israel. The verse continues on in verse 45, says, whom you have defiled. Uh-oh. David is saying, not only have you angered me, not only have you angered the armies and the king of Israel, but you have angered and defiled the head of the army. And look at verse 46. This day, not tomorrow, not, a, not down the road, this day the Lord will deliver you into my hand. It's believed that Goliath was nine feet tall. He was raised from birth as a warrior. He was the Philistines' champion of champions. He was the biggest. He was the strongest. He had the biggest sword. He had the biggest shield. He had the biggest spear. He had fought probably countless battles and killed countless men. And David, being a young shepherd boy, said that he killed the lion. He killed the bear. Wild animals. He protected his sheep. But he had never been in battle before. Remember, King Saul even tried to put his armor on David. David says, I can't even move in this. It's too big. It's too clunky. Because the scripture says that David was this ruddy, red-headed looking boy. Made it sound like he was real scrawny. And this little scrawny boy says, I know who's on my side, the Lord of hosts, the captain it says in Hebrews that he is the captain of our salvation. And he says, this day, no ifs, ands, or buts, the Lord will deliver you into my hands. And I will strike you and take your head from you. And this day, I will give the carcasses of the camp of the Philistines to the birds of the air and the wild. And the verse continues on. Beast of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. 
this little red-headed, ruddy, tiny-looking fella, how does he have the gumption to stand up to this warrior and not only say, I'm going to beat you, but he says the most intense thing, I'm going to let the birds eat your carcass today. I'm going to take the sword from you. I'm going to take your head from you. And then he just takes off running, slingshot in hand, hits him right in the forehead, knocks him down. And then little old tiny David starts pulling and tugging on Goliath's sword, chops his head off, and then picks up his head to show everybody. In the greatest areas of defeat, of fear, of what am I going to do, what's going to happen next, how do I defeat my giants in my life, how do we have the power to stand up and say, not today, today I'm going to win, today something's going to change. And it's what David did. He understood that the Lord of hosts, the king of heaven and earth, the head over the armies of heaven was on his side. Jehovah Sabbath was on his side. And because he knew that he was on his side, it didn't matter what came against him, what surrounded him, what attacked him, he knew that he was going to be victorious on the other side. In the scriptures it says, but thanks be to God who has caused me to triumph in all things through Jesus Christ. And we see the benefits of the name of the Lord in this passage. In Psalms 23, we're talking about the sixth benefit that we've been talking about in the series of Psalms 23, verse 4. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Make it personal today. Yes, though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you don't have to fear any evil. It's a pretty dark place. One, if you're just walking, if you've ever been in any type of mountain situation, to walk in the valley, it's already going to be darker. It's already going to be cooler. The sun's not going to be shining as much in the valley because it'll be blocked by the mountains. And not only is David saying that he's in the valley, but he's also on the shadow side. He's behind the mountain to where the sun can't get through there. And then just to top it all off, he just throws the word death in there to really drive his point home of how bad of a situation it has to be. If I'm in the valley, I don't have to fear. If I'm in the shadow part of the valley, I don't have to fear. If I'm in the, sha the shadowed valley and it's death all around me, I still don't have to fear evil. There's nothing that I can do but it's who's with me that helps me understand that I don't have to fear evil. We have fear that has stricken the nation. We have fear that has attacked us on a personal level and on a nation and a worldwide level. That there are phobias that are out there, numerous phobias, simple phobias such as being scared of spiders being scared of heights, 
being scared of needles, being scared of small spaces, being scared of big spaces. I don't know if it's still out there, but the number one fear when they did a poll many, many years ago, I don't know if it's still true to this day, but the number one fear that people had was public speaking. The number two fear that everybody put on this poll was dying. So people were more scared to get up here and do what I'm doing and talking in front of people. They said, you know what, I'd rather die than stand up and talk in front of anybody. Believe me, after doing this for many years, I understand the fear of public speaking. Because you get up here and you share your thoughts, you share your ideas. In some aspects, especially as pastors, you share your heart, you share your emotions, you, you share your soul to your people. In the back of your mind, you're wondering, well, what am I going to say? And then the other side, you're saying, well, what am I not going to say? What if people like it? What if people don't like it? What if people don't laugh at my jokes? What if people laugh at things that weren't a joke? I understand that. And sometimes I would think, I would rather crawl in a hole and die. But we have fears inside of us, fear of failure, fear of death, fear of the unknown. But fear has never solved a problem for us. We see in Genesis chapter 3 at the very beginning after Adam and Eve have sinned, they realize that they're naked, they go and hide, and God shows up on his daily visit and he's looking for them, calling out, Adam, where are you? Finally, Adam and Eve walk out of the trees, covering themselves, hiding themselves. They said, what are you doing? We meet at this time every day. We walk, we talk. What happened? He says, I was, a na- I was naked and afraid. I was naked and ashamed. And the only thing that fear does in regards to the spiritual realm is it always forces you to go and hide from God. Fear does not push you to God, usually fear is what draws us away from God. And we see the benefit here, I will fear no evil. Yea, though though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you will fear no evil. Now, God does not promise that we will not encounter issues in our lives. It says in the Scriptures that it rains on the just and the unjust. We see throughout the scriptures that people have these situations that happen in their lives, just like in our lives. There's deaths in the family, there's war, there's famine, there's pestilence, there's lack, there's things that happen on this earth, and it affects God's people. We understand bad things happen to good people. People, because this earth is fallen, because Adam and Eve sinned, they gave the authority over to the devil to have his way on this earth. But then Jesus showed up and he said, whoever believes on me, then I will give him the authority, he or she, the authority of my name. And in that name, all things must bow, all demons must flee, all dead must rise, all must be brought back to life when we understand the power and the authority that Jesus 
gave us. The devil still has control over this world, but he doesn't have control over me because greater is he that's in me than anything that can come against me in the world. So we have to understand that bad things happen. But we as Christians, don't let that define us. Don't let that take over us. Don't let that control us. We have the power and the authority to overcome during the crisis and go through the crisis and come out on the other side. You see, it says in James chapter 1, starting in verse 2, it says, My brother, brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Now, if we stopped right there, that's not the greatest of scriptures that I'm just supposed to woo, put on my cheerleading outfit and dance with my pom-poms whenever I encounter a various trial. It's not what James is saying. It's important that we read the passage to understand the full context of it. Count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Look, verse 3, knowing that this trial is the testing of your faith and it produces, and I hate this word, hate it more than any other word I think in the English dictionary, patience, because we don't like to wait. I hate waiting. I don't have time to wait. I got to go. Social media, I've got to scroll, 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 scroll. I'm done scrolling, I'm going to go to the next. I'm going to Instagram, scroll, 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 scroll. I'm done with that, I'm going to TikTok, scroll, 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 scroll. I don't have time to wait. I don't have time for commercials. I need to fast forward through commercials. I'm going to pay the extra money so I don't get the commercials. But it says here that when you are in the middle of of a trial, you should be joyful knowing that your faith is being tested and it's going to produce patience. But look at verse 4. But let patience have its perfect work. Why? 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 I don't have time. That you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Oh, okay. I think I can wait one more day then. My wife isn't in here, so I can't completely remember, but I've taught my son to be patient. Oh, that's what it is. Patience, the definition that I've given to my son, patience is waiting without whining. That's what I tell Noah. When he's wanting something or doing something or what and this and that, I say, hey, we've got to have patience. And what is patience? Patience. It's been a while since I told him, so I don't know if he'll remember it. But he used to when he was younger. Waiting without whining. Yeah. We're waiting without whining. We're waiting. Patience is the same thing that it is for my six-year-old son. It's the same thing for you. Patience is waiting without whining. But it never works for me. I've been waiting all day. been waiting all year. Does God even care? Does God even know? Waiting without whining. Instead of whining, let's talk about his scriptures. Let's talk about what he's going to do, how he's going to show up. My God shall meet all my needs according to his scriptures and glory. I'm not whining about my finances. I'm believing that he's going to show up. Perfect love cast out all fear. I'm not waiting with whining. I'm waiting with expectation knowing that faith is the substance of things hoped for, the expectation of something good, the evidence of things not seen. If I haven't seen it, then that means God hasn't delivered it, which means he's still working on it, which means it's coming. No matter where I'm at in life, no matter what situation I'm going through, 
I'm going to count it all joy knowing that this is an opportunity for the Lord of hosts to show up and fight my battle and deliver me. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, we've heard this scripture before, for God has not given us a spirit of fear. Here, once again, we see the heart of God. The heart of God is to give, not to withhold things from his people, but to give. There's things that he's not giving us, which are the bad things. But what he has given us, God never does a one-for-one exchange. He always does more and abundantly more. He is the provider Jesus says, I've come to give life and more abundantly. But what he has given, he's given you power instead of a spirit of fear. He's given you love. Remember, the scripture gives us a definition of what love is. God is love. So he's given us God. And he's given us a sound mind. You know and I know when fear happens, one of the first things that happens is the craziness of our mind. When you're in the valley of the shadow of death... And you're looking around, the first thing, your mind starts to wonder. And it's the same thing that the devil told Eve. Did God really tell you? Does God really love you? Is God really going to save you? Is God really going to help you? Did God really say that? And your mind starts wandering. But he hasn't given us a spirit of fear. He's given us power to attack whatever's coming against us. He's given us love, meaning God is on our side. And he's given us a sound mind so that we can make clear decisions. He has given us the mind of Christ, is what the Scripture says. And we can see how the mind of Christ operated when he was being tempted by the devil. And every time he was tempted by the devil, he didn't complain He didn't cry out to God. He went on the offensive. Turn these stones into bread because you're hungry. Man shall not live by bread alone. Brings them up to the top of the tower. Jump off. The angels will save you. Bow down and worship me and I'll give you everything. Every time. Scripture, Scripture, Scripture. We see the mind of God when he's being attacked by evil. The mind of Christ is to instantly go on the offensive and start quoting Scripture. Tell them what God said. Even the devil tried to use Scripture and contort it. Well, didn't he say this? No, 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 he didn't say that. I know what the Scripture says. This is what it says, and now it's time for you to go. You've tried, you've failed, and now go. Resist the devil, and he will flee, the Scripture says. God hasn't given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. I encourage you to go, especially during this time, and read Psalms 91. See the protection that God has for you. In Acts chapter 7, there's a story of the first martyr named Stephen. He's the first one who dies for Jesus. Ultimately, he's just a volunteer in the new church. Ultimately, all Stephen is, is a waiter. If you read in 6, or the beginning of 7, I think it's in 6, they're feeding some of the widowed women, and there was some chaos that was happening at the food pantry. Peter, James, and John, they said, we can't handle the tables and trying to fix all this and also study the scriptures and try and figure out what God wants to do for this church. And so he says, there's got to be some leaders. There's got to be some volunteers. I love this part of the scriptures because it says the pastor can't do everything. We need people to volunteer. I can't watch the kids upstairs and stay down here and preach. 
Thankfully, we have great volunteers here. Thank you all who serve and those who are serving all around right now. And they put Stephen and some men over tending the tables and handing out the bread. But they weren't just there handing out the bread. Stephen knew that he was full of the Holy Spirit, and wherever the Holy Spirit is, miracle signs and wonders can happen, and all of a sudden, miracles just started happening. People started getting healed, filled with the Spirit, prophetic words were happening as he was handing out bread. As he found his place in the church, his giftings just showed up. He wasn't on stage with Peter, James, and John preaching. He was handing out bread, and there were miracles that were happening, so much so it got the attention of the religious leaders. And they started questioning him, full of the Holy Spirit. He stands up in front of them and gives one of the greatest sermons, dissertations from beginning of time to right where he was standing, and he stops it with, you're the ones who crucified Jesus. And he says they gnash their teeth, they get angry. They start bringing him out to stone him and kill him. That looks like the valley of the shadow of death to me. Death, he is at death's doorstep, the worst situation. He should be fearing right there. He, in my mind, if I'm laying there as they're trying to pick up the heaviest rock, oh, that's not light, that's not heavy enough. Oh, I can still pick that one up. Let's go this one. Oh, this is a big one. And you're sitting there watching them take their robes off as they're getting ready to pummel you with rocks. And what does Stephen say? He says, behold, I see the Son of Man. The heavens have opened and I see the Son of Man. And he is standing at the right hand of the Father. And that made him even more mad. It's interesting because all the scriptures say that Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father. Talks about it in Hebrews, talks about it in Revelations, Jesus talks about it. We see throughout the scriptures that he's seated at the right hand of the Father. But when Stephen sees him, he's standing. So I believe, this is the Jeremiah interpretation, there's only two reasons that he was standing. One, he was standing up to honor the first martyr as he was dying for his name. Or two, he was standing up because he was about to do something. He was about to protect. He was about to be the Lord of hosts and protect Stephen. But then Stephen said something that I think probably made Jesus sit back down. Because Stephen said something that Jesus said in Luke 23. And he says, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. Stephen says, Jesus, don't charge this sin to them. What they're about to do, don't charge it to their account. And I believe that made Jesus take a step back. He was ready to be the Lord of hosts and deliver him out of the shadow of the valley of death. But Stephen, at that moment, when he should have been fearing and scared and crying, please don't kill me. No, 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 I'll, I'll deny him. I'll, I'll stop talking about it. I'll, I'll go back home. I'll leave it all alone. Jesus was right there with him in that situation. He says, I see him standing. Father, forgive them. And then it says he just fell asleep, just went up to heaven and saw his father. No matter what you're going through, the great shepherd and the Lord of hosts will be with you. His perfect love cast out all fear. He will guide you during your most difficult time. 
Not only will he guide you through it, he's going to help you through it on the other side. I want to let you know there's a truth that is out there that I wish wasn't true, but it is. That you in your life are probably in one of three areas. You either about to step into a storm that you don't know about or you do know about. You're currently in a storm that you're fighting and trying to figure out how to get out. Or you've just made it through a storm and you're on the other side of it. The reality of life is we in humanity are in one of those three positions. You're either about to step into a storm that you don't know about or you do know about. You're right smack dab in the middle of it and you're trying to shake Jesus up. Do you care if we're dying? The, the waves are crashing in. The boat is sinking. Will you help us? Will you bring peace to this situation? Or you're on the other side of that storm where Jesus says, peace be still, and the storm has subsided. But Jesus is involved in all three of those areas, and he's helping you no matter what stage you're in, he's helping you today. Let's look at the next benefit, the seventh benefit for being a sheep in God's sheepfold. Psalms 23 verse 4 is the simple statement that says, for you are with me, for you're with me. Psalms 118.6, one of my favorite scriptures. The Lord is on my side. It ties both of these benefits together. I will not fear. Because the Lord is on my side, I will choose not to fear. And look at this scripture. What can man do to me? God is either going to save me on this side of glory or I'm going to go to glory and he's going to save me there. Either he's going to heal me on this side of glory or I'm going to go on the other side and I'm going to be healed. I'm with God now, but it says when I'm absent from the body, I'll be present with the Lord. I will close my eyes here on earth and I'll wake up staring at my Savior, staring at my shepherd, staring at the great overseer of my soul. God is with you. You might not think he is, you might not feel his presence, you might not think that he's anywhere near you, but I'm here today to remind you that God is on your side. If you said yes to Jesus, and he is your Savior, then he's on your side. But even if you're not saved, he sent his Son, that while you were still a sinner, Christ died for you. That God is on the side of humanity. He always has been. He always will be. He is cheering for his prized possession, and that's you and that's me. He's on your side. You might feel like all of the world, all of your family, all of your finances, all of your work, everybody is against you, but if God is on my side, then that means I have the majority, and it says greater is he that's in me. It says that he's given me the victory. It says that he's caused me to triumph. Everywhere that I go, I win because he's on my side. Back in the 90s, everybody had great teams, but only one team had Michael Jordan on their side. And they won six times. We have the Michael Jordan of heaven on our side. We win. He's on our side. He's cheering us on. He believes in us. He wants us. And the scripture says, God is on my side. Therefore, I choose. I'm not going to fear. I don't know what tomorrow looks like, but I know the one who created tomorrow. And I know that he's already told me that there are new mercies that are ready for me tomorrow. 
Psalms 108, verses 12 and 13. David is writing, Give us help from trouble, for the help of man is useless. The help of man is useless. You might be asking for help and nobody can help you. Doctors can't diagnose it. This doesn't work, that doesn't work. You've gone to counselors, you've gone to doctors, you've asked your spouse, you've asked your kids, you've asked your parents. Compared to God, the help of man is useless because his help, look at verse 13. Through God, we will do valiantly. For it is he who shall tread down our enemies. God is on your side. If there is nothing else that you walk away from this sermon today is knowing that God is on your side. God is cheering for you, and because he's on your side, it says you can only do valiantly. And he's the one that's going to tread over your enemies. He's going to take care of it. He's going to remove them. He's going to move them. He's going to get them out the way. God is on your side. Romans 8, 31 through 32. Paul is writing to the church of Rome, and he says, What then shall we say to these things? You can read Romans chapter 8 to see all these things. But he makes the simple statement, If God is for us, then who can be against us? I don't care who you're bringing against us, God's for me. God's on my side. Therefore, if it's just me and God, if my spouse leaves, if my kids leave, if my church leaves... If my bosses leave, if my job leaves, if my finances leave, if my dog and cat leave, if everybody else leaves but God is still with me, I don't care who's against me, God is on my side. Look at verse 32. He who did not spare his own son but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Let me break that scripture down to you very, very simply. If he'll give you Jesus then he'll give you anything. If he'll give you Jesus, his one and only son, then this scripture says he'll give you anything. If he gave you Jesus, how will he not withhold giving you freely all things? I didn't write it. I'm just dumb enough to say it and believe it. You can make the definition of what all is in your world, but all means all. But what about all means all? But what about all things, whatever you need, because he's on your side and because he gave you Jesus, he's not going to withhold anything from you. He's with you. And when he's with you, you have access to things that you never even knew that you had access to. When we were at Bible school, we went to New York to visit Maddie's two sisters when they lived there. And Maddie's parents went for, uh, I think it was it y'all's anniversary, I think is when your birthday. And, uh, and so we all flew. I just started, we had just started dating and we went to New York and her middle sister worked at uh, a very high-end, very well-known restaurant that was run by a very famous chef. And she had to go to work for something to pick up a check or do whatever. And so we were with her and she said, why don't you come with me? I'll show you the restaurant. And so we went into the back part of this restaurant and she brought us through this little back alleyway, and then she brought us into the kitchen where the chefs were, and where they're frantically moving all throughout, and they're cooking and preparing for the night to begin. And then she brings us into uh, the restaurant area where we can see uh, it's, it's by Central Park in, um, 
in one of the towers, and, um, and all the windows are open. You can see into Central Park, and there's all this fine, all the people are in suits and fancy dresses and stuff as they're preparing to open up the restaurant. We go back into the kitchen, and we meet these head chefs, and, and, and we, get, we go to the pastry area where they're, where they're making desserts, and, and we get to see the seafood area and the salad area. And, and she's showing us all these things that the people who are about to come into the restaurant would never see, would never experience because they weren't with the right person. They just came in, sat at the restaurant, ate the food. But because we had access to somebody that was on our side, they brought us into an area that nobody else was able to see and experience. You see, God is on your side. God is with you. God is cheering you on. God is with you in the valley of the shadow of death, and he's with you also at the top of the mountain peak as well. And because he's on your side, you have access to things that non-Christians don't get to experience. You have access to the new covenant that non-Christians don't have access to. You have access to hear God's voice. You have access to heaven. You have access to his healing package, his salvation package. And we talked about in offering that he has given us his favor which surrounds us like a shield. He's given us favor with God and man. Not everybody has that access, but when you believe in Jesus, in the gospel message, all of a sudden, just like when we were with Maddie's sister, we get access to things that we didn't know. It says in the scriptures, you can walk boldly into his throne room. Before Jesus died on the cross, no one was allowed into the holy of holies. No one was allowed into his throne room. But the temple veil was torn, and now we have access because who is on our side? And I'm finishing with this, the last benefit. The eighth benefit for Psalms 23 in verse 4 is your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. That word rod in the Greek has a bunch of different definitions. I thought it was interesting, the different definitions of rod. It means a staff, a stick, a rod that is used for correcting. Another definition is a shepherd's rod or crook, which we see in this passage. Another definition of rod is a scepter for a king. Another definition for a rod is a measuring rod. And the last definition in the Greek for the word rod is a spear. Kind of makes a different connotation of the type of rod that your shepherd's holding. He's holding a rod that can help correct you, can lead you and guide you. Nope, don't go here. Nope, don't do that. That's not smart. I'd rather you do this. He's got the shepherd's rod with him to help you as a sheep, to pull you closer, to bring you back into the fold. He's got a king's scepter in his hand. He's got a measuring rod, and if all else fails, he's got a rod with a spear on it, the Lord of hosts ready to attack and protect his sheep. That word staff, they comfort me. The staff in Hebrew means a support of every kind. Sometimes I don't even know what support I need. I just know that I'm angry. I just know that I'm sad. I just know that I'm frustrated. I just know that I'm scared. I just know that my emotions, my mind, my will, my heart are saying some crazy things. I just know there's a lot going on. And sometimes I don't even know the support that I need, but it says that his staff 
the support of every kind is there to comfort me. That I don't know what I need. Sometimes my wife will say, what do you need? What, what can I do to help? And I'm like, I don't know. I'm just frustrated. I'm just going to go outside and take a walk. After you get all those emails from work, you get a call from your boss or somebody at work, you're frustrated, you get a call from your family, you get an unexpected email, and you're just frustrated. You're just, you're just trying to figure it out, and I need help. I need something. I don't even know what I need, but it says here that his staff is a support of every kind. Whatever I need, he's willing to comfort me. And he didn't understand. David did not understand the mystery that was going to happen, that it wasn't just going to be God with us, but he was going to send his Holy Spirit to be God in us. So David's saying that your rod and your staff, they comfort me. These outside things comfort me, but we, being in the new covenant, being under Jesus, have access to something that he didn't have access to, and that was the Holy Spirit inside of us. Not only do we have comfort on the outside level, but now we have comfort inside of us. Look at John. I've got two scriptures left. I'm landing the plane. John 14, verse 26. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, this is Jesus speaking to the disciples, the Holy Spirit whom the Father will send, we see the Trinity right here, Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost, all right here in one scripture. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, being Jesus, he will teach you all things and bring to remembrance all things that I said to you. In the Greek, that word helper has several different words. It means an intercessor, but the intercessor, the Holy Spirit, will help you. It also means a consoler, the comforter, and an advocate. So in that word helper, there's four different aspects of the Holy Spirit that are being revealed to us, but the helper, the intercessor, the consoler, the advocate, and the comforter that the, Holy, that, that the Father is sending through Jesus to us to help us and remind us. So not only do you have the shepherd comforting you on the outside, we now have the Holy Spirit inside of us helping us to comfort us. And the last scripture I have, I'm finishing with this, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 through 4. Paul is writing to the church of Corinth, and he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. And look at verse 4. It says comfort about 17 times. Who comforts us in all of our tribulations. Through the valley of the shadow of death, he's there to comfort us. That we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble. So not only is he going to help us, but we're going to learn something through those trials and through those tribulations so that we can also help others with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. There is an aspect of us that, yes, we have this relationship with God where he is helping us on our day-to-day -day walk, but that is not just the extent of our Christian walk. We are called to be blessed, but the blessing of Abraham is also dual-sided. We are blessed and we are called to be a blessing to others. If God has comforted you in any situation, then you have the ability to go out and help other people and teach them and show them the comfort of the Father. The Lord of hosts, though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you don't have to fear any evil because God is with you. His rod and His staff and His Holy Spirit are here to comfort you. Next week, we will pick up in verse 5. Let's stand up as we get ready to head out. Father, we thank you. 
We thank you that you are the Lord of hosts. You are the head of the armies that will protect us and take care of us. Father, I thank you that you are on our side. Father, I thank you that you are speaking and ministering to each and every person here. You know the trials, the tribulations, the things that they are going through. Father, and I ask you to help them and bless them and provide them and remind them that you're on their side, that you're with them, that you're with them in the trial and the tribulation, but not only are you with them, you're bringing them through it in the name of Jesus. So, Father, help your people. Protect your people. Father, be with them. Father, I thank you that they have the mind of Christ. They don't live in fear and worry anymore. They have the mind of Christ knowing that you're on their side. Father, I thank you that they're healed and whole. Father, I thank you that no weapon formed against them shall prosper. I thank you that every tongue that rises against them, they have the opportunity to condemn in the name of Jesus. Father, I thank you that everything they put their hands to prospers in the name of Jesus. Father, I thank you that we are the salt and light of the earth. We are blessed, and we get the opportunity to be a blessing in everyone we come in contact with. Now, Father, bless your people, protect your people, and cause them to prosper in everything they do. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. God bless you. We love you, and we will see you next week. Thank you for listening to Press Church Podcast. If you would like more information about us or are interested in giving to our ministry, you can click the link in our bio or visit presschurch.org. Don't forget to follow us on social media at Press Church SC and have a great week.